today on Laura Lynn and Friends. And I, I'm sad to say it, Laura Lynn, but until the banks collapse, people in America just aren't going to care. I, it's a horrible thing to say, but by and all, we're not going to get act action until people have nothing in their wallet. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the beginning of the last days. I am very, very excited about our show. We have an all-star cast of beautiful women from basically across the world that are going to be sharing with you today. Later in the show, we've got Eva Lardingerbrook, okay? I think I say it right on the interview, but she's amazing. Oh, and I said it wrong already. It's Ava. It's Ava. And uh, she's absolutely stunning. She's from the Netherlands. You know, lots going on over there, and she's been fighting for the farmers. We also have Christine Anderson uh, on with us today. But coming up right next to the reading from my dad's Bible is going to be the amazing Anne Vandersteel. She's from the United States of America. She's been keeping track what's going on at the border, sex trafficking. If, if it's news, she is covering it. You're going to love her. Also, she looks just like me, or I should say I look like her. I don't know. It's just, it's an amazing thing. We're having the our my, my don, uh, doppelganger on today. So you know that I love to start the show by reading from my dad's Bible. He passed away two years ago this month, and I miss him. I miss him every single day. But what he did was he left this legacy for me. He left this Bible, and in this Bible, he has underlined from stem to stern everything he thought was important. And I opened it up today, and it fell to uh, John 10, and he's got underlined three verses, <clears throat> four verses. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That's how you know a good shepherd. They give their lives. They don't try to take yours. But he that is a hireling, somebody that is bought, and not the shepherd, whose own sheep, whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and cares not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am, I am known of mine. The problem we have in our world right now is that we have a whole bunch of people who are, they're hired. They are politicians. They are globalists, elites, uh, the cabal. They, they get money to pretend that they're watching over the sheep of the world. And they're actually, actually destroying us. So one of the incredible people that is keeping um, an eye on that is Anne Vandersteel. You may have seen her. She's everywhere. Uh, she, she reports on all the channels that we do. So you're going to find her. And I just want to welcome you, Anne. I know you have a busy day. I heard you talking just before we started this show. So you've got like, you know, you've got a four and a five and a six. And you're busy up till eight o'clock doing shows tonight. So I don't know how you do it. That's your life, right? Yeah, it's it's the life. It's great to see you. And uh, I actually just got off the phone with my colleague from Operation Burning Edge, which is our border team, Michael Yan, who is a fearless war correspondent, Green Beret, just an exceptional human being. And it looks like I'm going to head back down there on Sunday to meet up with them and the team in Honduras. We've got we've got a team on the ground riding the beast train, which is that uh, train in Mexico, that freight train that all the illegals hop on to try and make their way north into the border. Uh, we've got other teams dispersed in Panama. So we have people everywhere right now and we're just aggregating information and really understanding the who's who, the cabal behind it. And, you know, who is profiting from this and what is the bigger plan? And, you know, it comes right down to this, Laura Lynn, and you know, America is so critical, right? They want to destroy America because we are the last country of freedom fighters that will stand up and we're armed. 
we have that Second Amendment right to defend ourselves and defend our freedom, and they're afraid of that. So they're doing everything they can to completely destabilize the country without firing a shot, which is the CCP's way, right? The, the Communist Chinese Party is quite brilliant in their, in their uh, fifth generation warfare, particularly this information disinformation campaign. And it's not just the CCP, you know, you've got a hands of the Russians and the Iranians. There's a lot of people involved in making sure they destabilize America so that we're constantly off our balance and trying to figure out who we should be fighting. And frankly, we're, we should not be fighting in as much as we should be standing up and taking out the people that have allowed this to happen, that have profited from the demise of America. And that's our politicians who are not public servants at all. They're corporate players, they're corporate employees. So, you know, this is what, this is the big picture, Laura Lynn. America is that last line of defense for the rest of the world. It's not just uh, Donald Trump and the Americans, it's our country standing in the way. So is this the gentleman that you're talking about uh, in this picture here, the fellow that you yes. go you go on a lot of assignments with him? So I, I'm absolutely in shock to hear that you have literally gone down to the southern border and, and you've RV'd and reported on what's happening. What did you see? That is such a commitment. I know you have family. You've got a wonderful husband. And you feel that, well, I... I think it's important because your country is being taken over much like ours is in a smaller way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it really was, uh, you know, Michael and I've talked many times about, I want to do a border trip with him. So we decided in August for the month of August, I left an end of July that we would, I would rent an RV, which would be called the, the, the palace essentially, uh, because we were camping. We had all of our camping gear, outdoor showers, tents, everything. We were going to literally camp along the entire border from Texas to California. And the RV would be the headquarters when we needed to do, you know, interviews or just get out of the elements kind of a thing. Started in Brownsville, really at Boca Chica, where SpaceX launches their rockets right on the beach in the Gulf of Mexico, where the Rio Grande enters the Gulf of Mexico. And what we learned down there was quite extraordinary, just the amount of um, cartel activity out in the broad daylight, out at night, delivering drugs, delivering people, and our Customs and Border Protection seemingly um, unfazed and really not doing anything about it at all. They show a presence, but that's about it. They show a presence. They're not doing anything down there. There were signs of illegal smuggling, illegal human trafficking, illegal drugs, armed and dangerous billboards right next to where we were camping in a, in a campsite. So it, it is clearly very, very dangerous. Uh, in fact, two members of our Burning Edge team, Josh and Anthony Rubin of muckraker.com were actually kidnapped within a couple hundred yards of the U.S. border several weeks ago down at Boca Chica. They could see the SpaceX launch pad. Uh, they could see the USA and they were kidnapped right on the beach and they were held at gunpoint, thrown in the back of a truck. All of their equipment was taken and smashed. They lost all of their uh, photography that they had for the last uh, bit of the trip. I actually had taken everything up into the point when we left them in Guatemala from them so they didn't lose it all. But you know, these these are serious cartel members. The Gulf cartel is real and, and they were not happy that these two young men were there and they were fortunate enough that they got the cartel to believe they were just tourists that didn't know any better and didn't realize they shouldn't have been in cartel territory. Uh, they got out with their lives because many journalists have been killed down there for, for a lot less. So uh, we're, we're very much embedded in, on the ground and we get a lot of really good information and intelligent sources from members of government, members of the um, border patrols that are in various countries like Senefront and Panama, you know, very favorable to the work that we're doing because we're in the jungle. We're talking to the Embara Indians, which are the indigenous Indians of Panama that are having to now put up with 
millions of people coming through the Darien Gap, you know, in the last several years. I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands, 10,000 a day going through there now. And the Panamanian government is powerless to do anything because they don't have the military or the finances to, to deal with this. But you see American flags, EU flags, United Nations flags all over the places in the jungle, in these encampments. So we are funding the, you know, the invasion at our border, at our taxpayer expense, Laura Lynn, they intend to destroy our country. And you know, as you and I spoke earlier this week on my show that, you know, the Chinese, if they can afford it, are flying into your country because it's easy to come right across the border. They don't have to make this dangerous trek up through Central America and through the jungles and to deal with the cartel. They just sashay across the border from Canada to America. So it's a, it's really a, it's a, it's an, un, it's a really horrific situation we find ourselves in, but it's straight up war, nothing short of it. Right. And, and I see on this show that I have here that you're reporting um, on a, a lot of things, uh, including sex trafficking. But, you know, it is interesting that in your country, uh, I see that you, uh, you retweeted uh, Brigitte Gabriel, and she's talking about how they don't want to let go of Jeffrey Epstein's flight logs. And uh, I wonder why that would be, Anne. <laughs> well, for the same reason that, that the DC elite are panicked that the judge uh, in the Seth Rich case has ordered the FBI to return Seth Rich's personal laptop and uh, work laptop to be opened and investigated because they've been holding on to it, right? They didn't want the contents of that laptop revealed to show that perhaps Seth Rich was the DNC hack and not a not a Russian uh, named agent called Guccifer. So yeah, they, they don't want this information out because a lot of the DC elite are involved in sex trafficking children, are involved in pedophilia. Uh, you know, Liz Crokin has been vindicated now for her Pizzagate uh, reporting that she's done since 2015. You know, when the Podesta emails were leaked in 2016 and she started to really dive into that, I saw what she was doing. I started diving into it and we were both unmercifully attacked by the people at Media Matters. Uh, you know, the the uh, individuals over there that are, you know, working for organizations like the Daily Beast, Will Summer, for instance, and Kyle Mantilla over at Right Wing Watch, David Brock over at Media Matters, who is dating the guy who owns Comet Pizza, James Alafantis who's posted unbelievably horrific children of uh, pictures of children in bondage tied up on ping pong tables in their, in their pizza parlor. You know, look, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Uh, and, and this is what's happening. This information coming out of Seth Ridge's laptop will end up vindicating a lot of people who have been reporting based on a whole bunch of other evidence that these people are evil and they're engaged in some very satanic and despicable activities that involve children. And, you know, again, Americans don't want to hear this, Laura Lynn, because it's just, you know, it's too horrific. But I, I think we have to keep putting this out there. The sound of freedom was a big wake up call. But, you know, again, we're, we're, we haven't moved off center. And I can, I'm sad to say it, Laura Lynn, but until the banks collapse, people in America just aren't going to care. I, it's a horrible thing to say, but by and all, we're not going to get act action until people have nothing in their wallet. And I, I'm actually waiting for that day so we can start to turn the corner. That's where I feel like our country needs to get to. Well, do you, do you think that's imminent? What do you think's going on with money? Uh, I know that a lot of people, um, even, you know, somebody um, like one of our favorite guys, uh, JT, who is that? He comes on and he's got the computer. What's his name? Martin Armstrong. You know, he's reporting oh. that by 2025, like who knows what's left, you know? Yeah, well, I, I actually don't disagree with that. Um, let's, 
JP Morgan, for instance, JP Morgan Chase, right? They're number two in the banking cabal behind Goldman Sachs, right? And as of the, the, the investment banks, I'm not talking about the Bank of International Settlements or the Federal Reserve, but in terms of the commercial banks, JP Morgan is number two. They, um, you know, the word on the street is based on some trading boards that certain people I know follow. They fired all of their gold traders. And, you know, earlier this year, the SEC slapped a 950 a million dollar lawsuit on them or a fine, excuse me, a fine on them because they were spoofing the metals market. They were using silver ETFs, which are just basically paper. Um, and they were artificially depressing the price of the trade of the silver ETF. So people could electronically trade on paper silver without having to physically own it. Well, they were keeping that price deflated, which was of course, deflating the silver market, deflating the gold market. And eventually that they got, well, they, the other thing they were doing is while they were deflating that price is they were buying the physical of gold and silver at deflated prices and stocking their coffers. Why? Because they were overselling the ETFs. They didn't have enough physical to back it up. And so guess what? They got caught in that spoof. And uh, now, they, now they're caught short without enough metal to back up the trades. So these gold traders are getting, are getting you know, deep sixed by their employer because the, it's going to cost JP Morgan Chase a lot of money. So you're, we're seeing the banks um, you know, become destabilized by their own malfeasance. You're seeing other banks that are smaller you know, start to get gobbled up by the bigger ones. And this is, in fact, part of the great reset. They need to reset the entire monetary system because it's all built on sand. It's a house of cards. Uh, there's nothing behind this currency. As you know, our American dollar is nothing. Um, it's just paper. And so until we get back to the reality of a situation, and I know that people are planning ahead because states in the here in the US, 18 of them are already exploring sound money and looking at creating gold depositories in their state or shared depositories in other states and having their own gold-backed currency. So I think the states are now using their 10th Amendment brain saying we can be free and we can be rid of the Federal Reserve and you know, understanding they have that capacity to do it. Why wouldn't you get off the Federal Reserve? You know, BRICS did. They're no longer beholden to central banks. So I think, you know, when you have 75% of the world's GDP decoupled from the Fed, from the central banking system, that says it all, doesn't it? The central bank system can't survive without, you know, with all these countries leaving and not using their, their paper currency, right? Do you think gold and silver is going to uh, have a real boost when all of this yeah, comes crashing down? Absolutely. Gold is already up uh, 200 bucks in the last... Uh, month. So, I mean, it's had some significant gains, uh, you know, it's up, I think it was 48 bucks yesterday. I mean, it's just boom, boom, boom. It's really, you know, it's, it's moving towards, um, you know, 2,300 an ounce. Once it hits 2,300, that'll be the next sort of like, um, plateau. And then some people are really expecting it to get to 2,700. And if you look at inflation, right, if you look at, um, what the real inflation rate is here in the US, it's more like 30% because you have to, they never factor the cost of energy into any of the prices of anything, which we all know it takes energy to get goods and services to market. So when you don't factor in the cost of energy, you're really not capturing rate of inflation. So we're at like 30%. If you look at the price of gold when it was 1700 and you had 30%, you know, you're looking at, at, at getting it, um, closer to 2,700 bucks an ounce, and that'll be sort of the next level it has to get to. So I, I think it has to adjust for the rate of inflation because the more you print money, the more everything gets higher in price. So gold has to adjust. And again, as I told you, they were artificially suppressing the price with these ETF trades. By keeping those ETF trades low, it was keeping the physical price low. Now that that's been corrected and they've been outed, you're gonna see the, the, the price of the physical adjust for inflation. 
Um, and we're all watching with great interest what's going on with Biden and, uh, you know, his inability to really govern the nation. It's so scary to see such a weak person at the head of the, the most powerful country in the world. Um, how do Americans feel about this? What do you think about what's happening to Trump right now with the justice system? Uh, well, Department of Injustice? Come on. It, you know, it's it, this is a joke. Uh, if anybody is paying attention, they're now fully awake about how there is not even two tiers. It's us versus them, right? It's the people and the, and the government is at war with the people. You have agencies that are running the country, Laura Lynn, that have never been chartered by our founding fathers in our constitution. These are unelected bureaucrats. It's not people in government that are decisions like mandates. It's the Department of defense with the COVID, with Operation Warp Speed and, and the development of the bioweapon. That was all done through the DOD. It wasn't done at Pfizer. They just slapped a label on it and, and manufactured it based on the specifications of the Department of Defense. You've got some very evil people running our country that we never chose. So I, when you look at Biden, he's just another stupid puppet. Um, he's a pedophile. He's a Chinese ambassador squatting in a White House right now that he has no business being there. But he's just yet another tool, a useful idiot that are really you know, running the world right now. And it is all about the public, private, global, corporate partnership. And let's face it, governments, your government, our government, governments around the world are at war with the people. They use COVID so that they could usher in this new world order, one world government. And they're really pushing right now for what? The WHO's pandemic treaty. And thank God for some of the countries around the world that are stepping up and saying, no, I have a campaign here in the United States you know, to, to, to pass a bill that prevents them, prevents our government from allowing us to sign on to this pandemic treaty. And we're, we're working like hell down here to stop it. But, you know, again, at the end of the day, all these people are illegitimate. We need to get President Trump in and we need to clean our gutters out of the politicians all over this country and step people back in that are true public servants. Uh, once we can do that effectively, this is going to be a thing of the past, but we're going to have to maintain ever vigilance, right, Laura Lynn? I mean, Americans really have dropped the ball. We haven't done our civic duty for over 150 years. So we are atoning for our sins right at this moment. Well, um, you know, some people here in Canada, and I'm not one of them, I believe that there was a lot of deception. But can you give me what how you explain uh, Donald Trump's pushing of the vaccine? I've had many debates with people, and I, I've said, really, there's been... Quite a, um, quite a deception that was given to many people. He's not a lab expert. He wasn't a doctor. He took the advice of others. What, what do you say about that? Oh, uh, 100% I agree. And I, I have it on very good authority. I know he was briefed in great detail about everything. And uh, the, ex the response he gave was that B-I-T-C-H lied to me, meaning Deborah Burks. So, you know, he's not a doctor. You're right. I'm not a doctor. I, you know, unfortunately or unfortunately spent time in the big pharmaceutical world 30 years ago. So I understand what it's like to brief doctors, educate them on new drug compounds, how to sell off clinical studies showing this many thousands of people took the drug and this was the response, adverse events. I, I understood all of that, but I'm, I'm one of a few people, right? Now, very few people understand that world. Now, is President Trump, I worked for him, Laura Lynn. He very much depended upon the trust of the people that worked for him. He would come into our office once a week. He would ask us questions <clears throat> about how things were going at the property there in West Palm Beach. And we gave him critical feedback. And if there was a problem, he took note. And by Monday, if he came on Friday, it was solved. 
So he's a fantastic listener. He takes, you know, he listens to the people that work for him and he takes what they're saying to heart because he is a good man and he has a good heart and he believes that people are the same. I think that's, you know, if anything is his greatest fault is that he trusted the wrong people. But at the end of the day, when you're talking about taking over and, and being the president of a, of, a, of a corporation of the United States, which is in fact what he is and what he was, as I like to say, a benevolent dictator because he was good for the country. He executive ordered some brilliant policies. He passed very few laws. It was all through executive order, which is what Biden's doing. So and he's a malevolent, he's a malevolent dictator. But Trump was benevolent. Biden is bad. So um, we need to correct this whole political system. But if you don't, tr if you can't trust the people around you, and you're talking about saving lives, and it's a critical juncture where you're being told, you know, millions of people in your country are going to die if we don't shut the country down. You know, he believed her. And I, I got to tell you, at the time, I did too. I was like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. You, you start looking outside. And then it was my children are like, mom, come on, you know, like wake up. And I had literally just gotten COVID from CPAC. I'd gotten the, the variety that uh, Sasha Latipova told me came out of Fort Detrick. They poisoned people at CPAC. So it's, wow. you know, I don't think we could comprehend the level of evil. I don't think President Trump yes. did then, but I think he does now. I'm pretty sure he does now. I'm looking forward to him getting back in, no matter what they try to do to him, his polls keep going up. And I'm looking forward to, can to, to Canada benefiting from having him back in. So we're praying for that, Anne. We appreciate you. I know you have to go. It's 12, uh, well, it's a different time, you know, right here it's 12.57 live, but it's 3, 3.57 where you are and you've got lots to do. Thank you very much for your service. Uh, where can everybody follow you? Oh, please. The easiest place to find me is on Twitter at Ann Vandersteel. That's it. And then it'll have links to my Rumble channel and so on. And so my Substack, all of that stuff. So I'd look forward to seeing everybody out in social media. And Laura Lynn, thank you so much for what you all do up there in Canada. It's so necessary. And uh, you're just a, a beautiful, bright voice in the darkness up there. That, uh, that shadow that uh, Trudeau cast. But I don't think he's going to be able to cast that shadow much longer. I think the people no. of Canada have had it. We have had it, and they're calling for his resignation, so keep an eye on that. I think that he's going to be gone sooner than later. We hope for that. People in the uh, in the feed are saying, wow, it's twins. So, Anne, it's been fun to be on with my twin. And I, you're, you're a sister from another mother in the United States. I, I love you. Thank you for all that you stand for you and for God's you, grace that is have on your life. Thank you. God bless you. Have a beautiful afternoon. You as well. God bless. Isn't she lovely? Totally stunning, right? <laughs> I just love her. Uh, you and, and you need to follow her because she, she does some of those really incredible things, like literally going down to the border and checking it out, getting the visuals so that you know the truth because you just can't believe anyone anymore. And you've got to find these truth tellers. And I want to make sure that you know exactly who Ann Vandersteel is. Uh, keep an eye on her. Keep an eye on what she's reporting because it's always good. Um, we had the extreme pleasure of interviewing Eva Vlardingerbrook. I don't know if I said it right, but I know on the interview that I did say it right, and I was pretty proud of it at the moment. So let's go to my interview with Eva. Take a look. All right. Well, we're coming to you from Vancouver, and I'm pretty excited to be with Eva Vlardingerbrook. And that is not an easy name uh, to, to say. I'm pretty proud of myself right now. Actually, I'm having yeah. a moment. I did good. Eh? Well done. Well done. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Um, you are on the cusp of uh, a historical time where we're seeing the world upside down. What what has caused you to speak out? You're, you're talking about very important things and you're putting yourself right out there and in the firing line. 
Well, it kind of started off by accident, really. So I was a law student back in uh, 2015, I started. Uh, and uh, I was very excited, you know, I, uh, I've been joining the debate club in high school and uh, I, uh, I felt that I was a feminist because I wanted to fight for the rights of young women and girls all around the world. And I was very upset to see that certain religions were covering up women and, you know, basically silencing them. And I thought, okay, I want to do something about that and I want to study law and, uh, and, and know how to really put up a fight against the injustices in the world. And then I went to law school and I voiced my opinions and I was faced with professors who said, oh, well, but you're a white girl and uh, clear criticism of Islam is not warranted because it's not your culture. You can't say anything about it. And I was shocked by that. I was like, hey, this is supposed to be like, you know, Dutch academia. This is supposed to be a place, a place where we can have debates and think freely. And uh, I was, uh, I was disappointed by that, and uh, I had a conversation with a journalist about it, also by chance, and he was like, hey, why don't you come and tell me about this for my newspaper? Um, and I did, and then there was no way back from there. Wow. Okay, because why? What did he say? Well, I said to him, I was like, look, there is a left-wing homogeny within the academic spheres in the Netherlands, and I don't agree with that, and I think that we should have an open debate. And uh, basically, immediately after that article, I had the entire establishment come after me and say, oh, you're, she's far right, she's a puppet used by men in the, in the right wing spheres, you know, this, these are not her own opinions. And I was, I was so, again, disillusioned by the response, you know, yeah. from, uh, from, well, the, from politicians, but also the, uh, the media, my own professors. And it just kind of, you know, put me in front of a choice. It's like, okay, either I continue on this path and I continue to speak out for what I believe in, or I capitulate and I didn't do the latter. So uh, I just continued like on writing and doing my commentary and uh, well, now we're here. I think I'm most shocked by all the women that burned their bras in the 60s, okay? And they fought for women's rights. And now a man can be a woman and yeah. a man can win Miss Universe and a man can beat a woman uh, in a sport and he has more muscles and you know, and then when you're speaking out against a culture that we're seeing on the rise right now with all of these uh, protests worldwide since what happened on October 7th was a pretty big deal. Um, this is a culture that doesn't really honor or respect women, right? So how has that been? Uh, you, you know, what, what do you make of what's happening in our world, especially as a young woman yourself? Right, well, I think that this is a society that doesn't respect or honor women, but it doesn't respect or honor the truth. And I think that's the most important thing. So as you rightfully said, we live in an upside down world, right? It's, we live in a world where a man can now be a woman and a woman can now be a man. And what is good is now called evil and what is evil is now called good. And I think ultimately, you know, if we don't move past the idea of both cultural relativism, um, but also moral relativism, and we don't return to a higher objective, if we don't return to the idea of an objective truth, then, you know, this whole gender nonsense, but all the other problems basically that we're facing in the West are never going to go away. Mm -hmm. And so, um, as, as you've been on this fight, have you experienced like uh, being shadow banned, uh, being like, have you been surprised at losing friends and colleagues? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had to make a lot of personal sacrifices. You know, it, it, it started out with the media coming after me, calling, uh, calling me the, the shield maiden of the far right for a, you know, nice little bit of sexism there. Hey, right. And, uh, and then saying like, oh, yeah, you know, this can't be this can't possibly be her own view. This, these, these opinions can possibly be her own. There must be a team of, you know, old white men standing behind her, telling her all these things and telling her what to say, et cetera. So I face like a fair bit of, of sexism from and racism actually from the left. You know, they, they pointed, they always point out still, I'm sure you're used to that too, that I have blue eyes and blonde hair because for some reason that matters for my political opinions. Right. Um, so yeah, no, I've, I've, you know, I've had, that sort of exclusion, if that have that sort of, I've been ridiculed by the mainstream media. I've lost friends. Um, there are family members of mine who, who definitely do not agree with the things that I say. But to me, ultimately, family as well. Yeah, but thankfully, my parents and my brother are very supportive. So mm -hmm. without that, I, might, I don't think I could have I could have done this. But one uh, one yeah. incredible man that we love in Canada is Jordan Peterson. Yeah, and yeah. I know you have a great relationship with him. Yeah, how did that come about? So Jordan Peterson reached out to me during the heights of the farmers' protests, and he was he supported us, and he re reposted a lot of my tweets back then. And I have been a massive fan of Jordan Peterson for the longest time. And then he asked me to come on his podcast. And so I did. And then I, I met him in person not too long after that. I met his wife and she and I also did a podcast. And I'm now um, in close contact to their daughter as well, who's just a you know an absolute firebrand. So that that entire family, like God bless them. I mean, yes. they're amazing people doing so much good for the world. And uh, yeah, I'm very, very fortunate to have them in my you know contact circle and be able to call them my friends so. right yes we we really really love the petersons and mm -hmm. uh jordan peterson actually you know when i started fighting the gender thing uh he was somebody i was looking up to because he was actually highlighting it out there if you could encapsulate uh what you feel are the largest challenges that women face in the world today what what would you say that is well, it depends where you are, right? But let me just from a European perspective speak about the dangers that women face uh, in, in Europe right now. There, I would say there are two massive threats to our rights. One of them, mass immigration. Obviously, we've imported millions of young military-aged men uh, from archaic societies who do not respect us, who do not value us the same way that Westerners do, that Christianity does. Um, so that has definitely been something that I personally have even experienced, you know, just growing up, feeling unsafe in the streets, you know, being uh, harassed and, you know, people don't want to talk about this, but more than that, nine out of 10 times, it was a guy with an immigration background. So that obviously one of them we've now seen again in Ireland, a migrant who again stabbed a woman and young children. And this happens all the time in Europe. So definitely mass migration. But then the question is, who allowed that to happen? Well, our establishment did and our establishment you know they're neo-marxists they're uh, they're the types of people that even deny the existence of females you know they de deny the existence of of womanhood um so in that sense the attack comes from again both sides you know the left and radical islam yes and some people are very shocked now because now we're seeing the pro-Palestine, pro-Hamas rallies that are coming together. Um, they're becoming increasingly violent. And do you think that this is part of an awakening to our culture of this is what has happened to us? They are here. I think so. And I mean, I think it is quite late, to be honest, because I, you know, we've been facing these problems for 
decades now. Mm -hmm. So the fact that only now people are starting to wake up to it, you know, I'll take my, my win here for a moment. We, we just had an election in the Netherlands and finally one in four people went out to vote for the nationalist right-wing party that has been ridiculed, demonized for, well, as long as it has existed, basically. So there is a shift going on in the political landscape. And I, I do agree with you. I do think that the events of October 7th and also the rallies that we've seen in the Netherlands, for example, where in Amsterdam people were waving literal Taliban flags and Al-Qaeda flags, that that has sort of made a few people go, hmm, okay, well, that whole story that they told us about these groups integrating into society has not exactly worked out well. Absolutely right. And do you think that we can do something about it? Because we have invited this problem. Now they're here. Um, and there are some good people here, but there are buried within the masses yeah. are some people that do not share our values and that are here to make and stir up a lot of trouble. How do we deal with it? Well, it's tough, right? Because especially in Europe, we are bound to all of these international treaties, you know, EU law, humanitarian treaties, etc. And there is a whole apparatus of NGOs, um, lawyers who help people to get asylum, even though they're not actually refugees. So, and we have a, a massive group of economic migrants coming in all of the time as well, who claim to be refugees. And then that process gets stalled and stalled, and then they ultimately just never leave. I think that um, the fact that we haven't done anything about that is not because we can't, because people are unwilling. So it's not a matter of incompetence. It's a matter of, do you want to make a change, yes or no? Personally, if I were to be in power, I would do two things immediately. Stop to give people social welfare. Stop handing out free money to people who are not willing to work, who are not willing to integrate. You know, it's a, it's yes. a simple thing I would say to do. Just stop giving the money and then start remigration process for people who have you know, no right really to be here, who aren't actual refugees, and be a little more firm in that process. And I think if you take away the economic incentive, that's all going to be a lot easier. Right. Um, my final question for you is, uh, you have tremendous faith in your life. Uh, what role does God play in the journey, in the destiny that is before you? Uh, really an Esther rising in the land, like invisible for a season and then suddenly brought to light with great a great message. Um, how do you see all of that? Well, God is, I mean, has a central role in my life, right? It's, uh, to me, everything that I do politically, you know, isn't just about my opinion or, um, you know, a political play. It's about a, a search for the truth and the truth has a name and that's Jesus Christ and he's my Lord and Savior. And so I will, you know, I've made a really active choice to stop hiding my belief and my faith in God from my political interactions, because ultimately I do think, like I said, that we are in a spiritual battle. You know, this is not just a battle of policies. This is a battle of good versus evil. Mm -hmm. And we, and, you know, good is God. God mm -hmm. is good and God is the truth, the truth, the way and the life, and we should follow him. So. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks for bringing an incredible message to uh, Canada. You're Thank on you. a tour right now with Christine Anderson. Yeah. That's got to be fun. Yeah. She's a oh, spitfire, so, right? The so two of you. I mean, I'm so happy to see a voice like hers come from yes. Germany, too. Like, I mean, that's a country where so many things have gone wrong. And uh, yeah. it's really, really good to see that there are people like her standing up. And, I, you know, I so appreciate her. So I'm yeah. honored to be 
on this tour with us. I love it. Honored to be in Canada. I and we yeah. are so honored to have you. And Beth Ann and Stacy, I think they sought you out and and kind of convinced you. Yeah. You know, along with the the beautiful and talented Christine Anderson, and it's just a, an absolute uh, just a joy to have you all. So thank you for what you do. Uh, may thank God you. be with you. Thank may you. May God protect you keep you may his angels uh walk with you down dark corridors and as the world sort of has a, a sort of an evil tint right now uh may you be a voice of light and we thank you for your courage thank, thank you, you for courage You're thank you so others. much thank you i really appreciate that and god yeah. bless you too thank you god bless all right. Um, so she was absolutely lovely. And uh, I was blessed to be able to spend um, the day with her and Christine Anderson uh, and some beautiful gals from Canada that just welcomed them. And you will remember uh, that, you know, the, these kinds of great folks are have not been accepted by those in the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada, like welcoming them, blessing them for their stand. Um, in fact, uh, you know, I do want to go to Member of Parliament um, of the European Parliament, uh, Christine Anderson's interview right now. This is a woman I just have such tremendous respect for. Uh, her and Ava are now, you know, going across the country. I think actually they're now heading into the United States of America. Um, they got their, their event canceled, I think. Was it Montreal, JT? Ottawa, because um, the, the place that they had booked to have these ladies, of course, they got who knows what kind of threats and, you know, all these calls to have them removed. And the, the place in Ottawa then said, well, we're not having this event. What do these ladies stand for? For freedom, for protection, uh, for science. They're great. They're great. We're in a dangerous place. I hope this is showing everyone that we're in a dangerous place in Canada. And we're gonna have a uh, video as well coming up that's going to highlight an incredible woman talking about this, talking about specific instances where we see the decline of, uh, right into tyranny in our nation, and it's happening. So let's, uh, let's go to Christine Anderson, another great Deborah and an Esther in the land. Take a look. Well, I'm having one of the best days of my life because I get to hang out with Christine Anderson. And uh, we all know her. If you've been following my podcast, you know that we, we play her clips. We think that she is one of the most courageous women in the world. And she gave our prime minister a piece of her mind. And that, and that just gave us all a sense of hope that we were not alone because we've been in a mess in Canada. Uh, but Christine, you're on the, the front edge. What is happening in your country? And what, what can you warn Canadians about? Well, what is happening in my country? Where do I even start, right? Mm. Um, and the thing is, it's it, it's not only happening in Germany. It's it's really happening in every single Western democracies. And I, I cannot stress it enough because that really is the big issue here. Um, because as I said before, if it was one or two countries going rogue, you know, the people would have to hope that eventually someone is going to step in and does something about it. Well, who's going to come? No one. Mm. So the people are pretty much left, you know, to themselves. The people have to do something about it. So what are, what are we actually talking about here? Um, we are looking at, at nothing less than uh, they are robbing us of our identity, whether it's a uh, cultural, uh, a national or sexual identity. 
And if you rob people of just, you know, all of their roots, all of the, you know, what defined them as an individual, um, you will have uh, uh, just, you know, a body uh, with no soul, with, with no, you know, identifying characters. Uh, it's an empty body. Um, so that is going on. Uh, they're stealing our homeland. Uh, by, you know, flooding it with, you know, millions and millions of uh, illegal immigrants. And uh, I really call it invasion at this point because there is no other term that would adequately... Is that happening in your country too, in, oh, in Germany? Uh, especially in, in Germany. Especially they're coming in across Ger the border illegally? It, yeah, absolutely. I mean, not only that, they're pick literally picking them up in the mm. Mediterranean Sea and bringing them they, it's like a shuttle service who wants this and why why is any well, yeah, government that's, allowing that's, this yeah well that's that's the interesting question right so the people are being told you know these people are poor and you know they're fleeing from oppression and you know what have you not so i will make it a point um, i do not blame any of these people they are in search for a better life and humans are always in search for a better life to do better for their children. That is human nature. I do not blame these people. If I was in their position, I would probably do the same thing. Right. But I blame my government because my government was elected by the German people. They are responsible for the German people. They should be looking out for the interest of the German people and no one else. So, so why would they flood our country with um, young, able men? Because it's not women and children, elderly refugees coming, right? Uh, why would they do that? Hmm. The question is, is really interesting. And the only uh, reason, conclusion I can come up with is they want to destabilize. Uh, yeah, our country, um, for whatever reason, maybe to impose a, a, a more militant government type of form. Because if you have, you know, very various ethnicities, you need to have a strong state to keep it all together. Yes, there have been examples of that. Uh, Yugoslavia, for instance. You know, mm -hmm. there were so many ethnicities; it worked as long as they were under totalitarian Soviet and they were rule. Kind of e equal. But as soon, it, well, it they were just oppressed pretty much. Yeah, okay. But it, it worked, okay. you know? The state was just, you know, making sure that no one stepped uh, out of line. But as soon, when the, the Soviet uh, uh, regime fell, uh, and as soon as the pressure was gone, the country was literally ripped apart and it broke uh, along those uh, ethnic lines. Because that is human nature too. People will relate to what is what is what they're familiar with. They will always be drawn to their own, right? You have it in the family, you know. The family sticks together, okay? So um, uh, maybe that's what they're trying to achieve, you know. So, so I it's, it's really you, interesting. When though. you were here last time, you gave us some really shocking um, information about like women being raped, mm -hmm. uh, like. Women are at risk from some of these. I was listening to someone on a podcast, uh, you know, what happened October 7th, a lot of women raped the killings, the mutilation, the barbaric yeah. acts. And part of it is a sexual assault. <clears throat> 
part of it is a sexual assault that comes against women. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing that in your country. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we are not really talking about just rapes anymore. I mean, we're really talking about uh, uh, brutalizing women to an extent that is so, as you said, barbaric. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've seen, you know, fractured skulls, wow. uh, eye sockets broken. I mean, they, they're not only raped, they're so brutally beaten up, you know. Um, it's, uh, we're talking gang rapes, you know. Wow. So, and this is not, these are not isolated incidents, mm -hmm. you know, as they always try to make it out to be all isolated incidents. I mean, how many isolated incidents do you need mm. until you see a pattern, yes. you know? And uh, like I said, this is, this is happening on a regular basis. Um, what else are we seeing that we have never seen before? That people just go nuts, you know, with machetes, you know, mm. rampaging through, you know, a pedestrian area, you know, whoever they can get, they can get. I mean, these th these things are going on. Uh, there is knife attacks, you know. These are almost on a daily basis. Sometimes two or three every single day. Wow. Just randomly, people being knifed down, you know, for no apparent reason. So um, these are all things that we have not seen before. Mm. Um, and if they happen, there was like literally once in a decade, you know, something like that. And now it's like, like I said, a, a regular occurrence. We're talking about um, <clears throat> now uh, uh, having safe spaces, shelters for women they can, can go to. Uh, on like, you know, mass events like Mardi Gras, you know, people are, you know, all dancing in the streets and having fun and, you know, whatnot. Um, so shelters where women can go to in case they should be, you know, ganged up upon by thousands of men, like it happened three or four consecutive years uh, on New Year's Eve. And there were thousands of women just, you know, sexually harassed, molested, grabbed, raped even. Um, and all they did is they just gathered thousand, two thousand of these men and they were just, you know, ganging up on them. And ah. there was nothing these women could do. Yes. And there was a phenomenon that um, we were not familiar with. Uh, it is, however, a phenomenon that is known in the Islam world. Yeah, so we're in a situation in Germany right now where the, uh, the safety of women can no longer be guaranteed. And uh, when the police resort to ridiculous uh, tips for women, uh, they should not go uh, on a run, you know, by themselves, always pair up. I mean, then you know we are in really big trouble, right? Yes, you do. And like you were saying, that the only conclusion you can come to, because this is so irrational <clears throat> that, that a, a, a body, a government, would invite this into their country, that really there's something else going on. And yeah. you talk about that. You talk about this, this plan to destabilize the world. Well, that might be a reason. I, I'm not... I, don't know if it is the reason. It might be one of the reasons. Right. There might be any number of reasons, you know. So, but but like I said, if uh, if you want to, and, and this is the overall issue here. I mean, with every single agenda, you know, it is about uh, um, removing democratic process further and further away from the people, uh, downright abolishing, you know, democratic processes. Um, <clears throat> that's what you need. You need to create a, a, a situation, a crisis, if you want, you know, um, where you could legitimately convince the people of the fact it's necessary 
for your safety, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and then you're looking pretty much at a police state. And uh, we have been seeing that in Europe, all over Europe, that the police have been uh, successively militarized, uh, the way they're walking around now, you know. Um, we didn't see that like 10, 15 years ago, but it's happening now. Hmm. So. So, so with, uh, you know, big wins like Geert uh, Wilder, uh, I don't know if I'm saying yes. that correctly. Geert um, Wilders. Yes, yes. Uh, are, are we going to see parties like yours rise? Are you seeing that? Are people awakening yeah. to the need for yes. strong? Yes, that is happening. <clears throat> um, it is happening in pretty much every uh, European country. Um, it is more advanced in the Eastern European countries. Um, in the Western European countries, it's uh, mm, going a little slower, but it's getting there. The reason is very simple. Um, the people in the Eastern European countries, they remember. It hasn't been that long that they had to live under totalitarian rule, mm. and they recognize the signs, and, and they, they see the, the garbage going on. And they know when they're being lied to by the media and by the politicians, because they've, they've been there and they've, they've done that. They know it, they know what's going on. So, um, but it is happening pretty much everywhere. And um, yeah, these parties are, you know, rising in the polls. And uh, we just had elections in Germany in two states, in uh, Hessen, my state, and Bavaria, which are two Western states. And despite everything they were trying to do, like, you know, having the secret state police uh, uh, watching us for, you know, right-wing extremism or whatever. Um, uh, we still came in at 18.4% in my state. And in Bavaria, there was a slightly different situation, but still they came in at 15.7%. That, that, that's the biggest numbers we ever had in Western states. And in the Eastern, Eastern, Germany state, Eastern German states, we're looking at numbers like 25, 30, 35%. And there are states now, they are the strongest party, you know? So- um, How exciting. I know, the thing is, it's not working anymore. They're bashing, they're bad-mouthing us and labeling us. It is not working anymore. Right. Because, and that's the thing, <clears throat> everything we have been saying, for 10 years turned out to be true. And people are now seeing, hey, wait a minute. That's what they said like freaking 10 years ago. And here we are. So, and people are just fed up of being lectured to by politicians yeah. who have no clue about what people go through in their everyday life, the challenges they face you know, with this insecure situation, with the, the inflation, everything, you know. They're sitting in their, their ivory towers. They get, you know, shuttled around in their limousines. They don't have to deal with any of that. Hmm. And uh, people are realizing that. So right. it's not working anymore, luckily. One, one of the incredible things that you talk about is uh, people being sheep and the big test of COVID, the big test, yeah. if you would comply. Yeah. And uh, I loved last night, because of your German background, you're just so open about understanding the history uh, of those that complied with something that was uh, a, a very, uh, a big stain on, on our history as, as a world. And what do you have to say to people now? Because we're at that same place where mm. we're seeing tyranny come in, especially in Canada um, and definitely where we're, you know, in Germany, right. but what do we do? What, what is your message to us about 
understanding? Well, uh, first of all, people need to get their hist his historical facts down. Mm -hmm. um, and if they had their historical facts down, uh, things like inviting an actual Nazi to the House of Commons would not have happened just because they are so idiotic about, oh, fighting Russia, fighting Russia, not realizing that fighting Russia in World War II, yeah, that kind of meant yeah. <laughs> they were fighting with the, wrong the Nazis, side. right? So get the historical facts straight, um, you know, and, and what is really important, um, and then I, I said that last night, especially with we, we Germany, we gave a promise, never again. Mm. But how will you be able to live up to that promise of never again if you don't have the first clue about what to look out for? Because you are not looking at the little incremental steps that led up to Nazi Germany. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it did not, they did not start out by rounding up people and transporting them off to camps. That was at the end. But there five years, like I said, little incremental steps. And if you don't know what these little measures are, these little, you know, it's always for the good of the people, obviously. But if you don't know what right. they did, how will you be able to recognize when mm. it's happening again? But I can guarantee you that you will sure as heck recognize it when they're done. But by that time, it will be too late. Right. It will be a very rude awakening. Did and there is a saying, if you sleep in a democracy, you will have a very rude awakening in a tyranny. Wow. Did you see this early in your path and in your career? Or is this something that all of a sudden in the last five, ten years you've gone, hey, wait a second, we have a big problem. Like, when did you first recognize it? Um, so I pretty much woke up in 2007. And the trigger for me was the subprime crisis in the United States. And, you know, as it swept all the way across the globe and, you know, just trashing economies everywhere. Um, and it was like, I couldn't make sense of it. Well, what happened here? So, you know, I just started looking into it, researching it. And, you know, and then I was like, what? Mm. I mean, they were literally selling houses to people that could no, never afford a house. These people were lured in to mm. buying how the promises, you know, they financed that on like 140%. Yeah, so that, that would, yeah, that is like luring people in into a, a debt a, a trap yes. pretty much. And yeah, that's what it was mm -hmm. because these people lost all of their homes, right? And then, you know, the, the banking scheme, you know, with these uh, uh, bundles, uh, you know, with these defaulting loans in there and they getting passed off, I don't know how many times. And then it, eventually it, it just, you know, all burst. So um, and, and that was like, What's what going is on? going on? Mm -hmm. So, but it was like, it wasn't just that. I came across so many other things. Yes. And I was like, oh, and the abyss I started looking into. Right. It became deeper and deeper and deeper. Well, I'm just so glad that you have awakened. I'm so glad that you have seen it. I'm so glad that you have courage and you're sharing it with the world. We thank you for that. This is not the end. We hope you keep coming back here. Oh, yeah, well. Canada welcomes you, and we appreciate that you're so outspoken. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. And God bless you. God Thanks. bless your journey. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, I ended up having a really great time. Um, 
out with uh, the ladies. We showed them the best of beautiful British Columbia. We went up to Cypress Bowl and had a look there, and we went over to um, uh, down to the harbor there. Um, and actually, we ran into a Danish guy who said that uh, came over and recognized everybody, actually, and then started talking in uh, Danish, I guess, with Ava. Let me, yeah, let, Dutch, yeah, Dutch, okay. Oh, oh, yes, Dutch with Ava Vlardingerbrook, all right? It was absolutely fantastic. Um, so uh, an amazing thing is happening. I want to show you a few things today. Now, this, this next video, um, we're seeing what is happening in the world. We're showing you that the problem is global. An amazing journalist, independent journalist, Rupa Sabramanian, I hope I, you know, I butcher people's names, but she is actually testifying before the U.S. Congress on the creeping authoritarianism in Canada. She's amazing. Watch this. Thank you, Chairman Jordan. I'm pleased to be able to join you today to testify on the importance of free expression. I'd like all of you to think of me as a time traveler from the not-too-distant future, coming back to the present to offer you a glimpse of what could lie ahead for America. I live in a time in which, in the name of fairness, you can't share the stories you write for my news publication on social media. I live in a time in which, in the name of the common good, you can be kicked out of your bank and online payment system simply for expressing the wrong political views. I live in a time in which, in the name of social justice, you can commit a serious crime but get a more lenient sentence if you happen to be the right skin color. I live in a time in which, in the name of safety, you can be arrested for exercising your right to peaceful protest if you happen to be protesting the wrong thing. Of course, I'm not a real time traveler. I just live in Canada. Americans, and perhaps those in this chamber, surely think Canadians are too nice, we're too polite to embrace this sort of proto-authoritarianism. But it's more accurate to say that our niceness made us susceptible to the new authoritarianism, undermining the foundations of our liberal democracy. If it sounds like I'm overstating things, allow me to share three stories that illustrate this creeping authoritarianism. First, a few months ago, I reported a story from my publication, The Free Press, about a high school principal in Toronto who had been humiliated in front of his colleagues by a DEI consultant. The principal's crime, besides being white and male, was that he objected to the consultant's assertion that Canada is a less just society than America. The humiliation he experienced ultimately led him to commit suicide. I wanted to share that story on Facebook. When I tried to, I was barred from posting it. I received a message that stated, in response to Canadian government legislation, news content can't be shared. I was confused. Then I remembered the recently adopted Online News Act. The law forces social media companies to pay online media companies to link to their content. Facebook, instead of paying for that content, barred its users from posting it. Government officials insist that this is only a matter of fairness, a way of making sure that media companies are compensated for the news they report. But really, this new law props up legacy media dinosaurs like the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, Bell Media, and other companies, which are subsidized by the federal government, and all of which can be counted on to echo Justin Trudeau's worldview and toe the party line. Not being able to post was annoying, but it wasn't the end of the world for me. I don't depend on Facebook for my income. The same cannot be said of Christopher Curtis, which brings me to my second story. Chris is a 38-year-old renegade journalist, entrepreneur in Montreal who runs a digital newsletter called The Rover. He calls himself woke. 
You might think that he's exactly the kind of journalist the Trudeau government would elevate. He's on the political left. He publishes stories about the plight of the homeless and police brutality. The problem is that, unlike government-funded news companies, independent media companies are truly independent, which means they report stories that don't comport with whatever the government wants them to report. For example, in September 2020, the Rover reported a story on federal mistreatment of Mohawk Indians. This month, it published a story about migrant workers who had been abused and trafficked with the unwitting help of the federal government. But under this new law, the Rover can't build its audience. Unable to post content on Facebook or Instagram, the newsletter can't reach new, new subscribers. It cannot grow its subscriber base. This is a slow death, says Chris. For now, he's unsure how he's going to support his partner and their three-year-old daughter. He's thinking of going back into construction, which takes me to my third story. Danny Bulford, now 41, used to be an officer in the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the equivalent of the FBI. For years, he was a sniper in the Prime Minister's protective detail. Then, in 2021, Danny quit because he didn't want to get his COVID vaccination. In early 2022, truckers descended on Ottawa to protest new COVID vaccine requirements. Danny joined them. The government declared a state of emergency. Danny, like many demonstrators, was arrested and later released without charge. Then something chilling happened. On February 17, 2022, Danny logs into his bank accounts, starting with his checking and savings accounts at the CIBC. But instead of seeing his balance, he had about $160,000 in there. The only thing he saw was a dash. Then he logs onto Scotiabank to see about an additional checking account. Once again, there was no sign of any money in his account. Finally, he logs into the Royal Bank of Canada, which handles his MasterCard account, and he was told he had no access to any credit. Danny's wife was also unable to access any of these accounts. Suddenly, they were worrying about how to cover their next mortgage payments and how to feed their three kids. That is what it means to be debanked. Debanking has been one of the Trudeau government's weapon of choice. Since 2018, it has frozen the accounts of more than 800 Canadians who did things it didn't approve of, including those of 280 who took part in the truckers' protest, which the government regarded as illegitimate. Soon after, Danny moved his money out of the big banks and into local credit unions, hoping it would be safer there. The worst part of this, Danny told me, is not believing in the country I spent my career serving. It's this feeling that we're being watched, torn apart, made to feel like the much-hated other in our own country. Canada was once a bastion of free expression, but now not so much. Consider that at the same time the government and its corporate allies are curbing the free expression of truckers and journalists, the government is defending the rights of pro-Palestinian demonstrators, many of whom traffic in what can only be called anti-Semitism. Think about that. Vaccine skepticism, not okay. Peddling medieval blood libel legends about Jews, okay. I'm all for protecting free speech. I'm from the free press. I just want that protection applied fairly. I also want to be clear. These are just a handful of hundreds of stories I could have picked. What is happening in Canada is a gradual suffocation of free expression. It is draped in a cloak of niceness, inclusivity, and justice, but it is regressive, authoritarian, and illiberal. I came here today not simply to warn you about what lies ahead, but to plead with you to do something about it. Now is not the time to be polite. Now is the time to defend loudly the liberties and rights that have given us the greatest freedoms in human history. Across the world right now, governments in the name of the good are considering or adopting measures like we have in Canada. Look at Dublin. They're about to enact a draconian hate crime, hate crime bill that poses a dire threat to free speech. In, in Paris, President Emmanuel Macron has called for censoring online speech. This is to say nothing of Russia, China, and Iran. America is so exceptional, indispensable, really. Please do not succumb to the same illiberalism, authoritarianism. 
please keep fighting for what you know is right. Canada is watching. The world is watching. Thank you. Go, go, go. Thank you very much. That was absolutely incredible. And we're seeing it more and more. Um, certain people now I've heard unable to get bank accounts. How long until our social credit score really means that we're not able to buy and sell? I know recently um, I've been banned on Facebook from participating in the marketplace. It said it put up um, a note that said you are not permitted to buy and sell on this site. And what did that remind me of? Well, what the Bible says about one day. So, you know, th this is all coming to a little bit of a crash and we're seeing it happen. I asked somebody just this morning, do you think this all changes when we change government? Because everyone's calling for Trudeau's resignation and they're going to put Christia Freeland in maybe or something like that. Now, right now, Trudeau is saying, no, I'm staying put. It's all theater, isn't it? Did you see my guest yesterday, Andrew DiBartolo? Uh, he talked about how it's just theater. Everybody pretends they're having a big fight. And really behind the scenes, they're, they're cozy with one another. Um, you know, lovely speeches given about each other. And, and this is from a conservative party for the, for the liberal party. You know, hugs and, you know, is there really a fight on? No, I don't think so. The real fight is with those that are not invited to the party. The real fight in Canada, the real people fighting, the real folks who are putting everything on the line are not getting any nice words spoken about them from any politician anywhere. They are bullied, uh, shadow banned. They're not allowed to speak. Those are the real politicians. And in my brief stints in politics, I saw it happen. I mean, they don't want to cover what you're saying. If you're talking about the, you know, transgender agenda, they don't want to cover that you're highlighting something that millions and millions of Canadians agree with. They don't want to cover that because that's not part of their agenda. You know what'll be really cool? Let's all, let's all hope for this. Pierre Polyev, he sure can put down the CBC, right? I think I've heard him say he'll defund them. Do you think he will? Do you think he will? That will be the big test. When a politician actually gets put into power and does what they say. Here's a problem. Those politicians have voted for these agendas, these woke agendas, to be continuing through our schools, infiltrating our families. So what do we do? Who, who do we really need in power in order to see true change? I'm not certain. Well, something's going on in the States, if I can uh, do the share here, JT. Uh, Maxime Bernier is reporting that we will do this in Canada too. What will that be? Well, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton says, I am suing Pfizer for misrepresenting the COVID-19 vaccine efficacy and conspiring to censor public discourse. Ken Paxton, on today's date, has literally put out a immediate press release that he is suing Pfizer for misrepresenting COVID-19 vaccine efficacy and conspiring 
to censor public discourse. Now, all of you, would you mind sharing this show with, um, with Pierre Polyev so that he knows that he could do the same thing? He could as well do something about Pfizer's misrepresentation of the vaccine. So Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton has sued Pfizer, Inc., for unlawfully misrepresenting the effectiveness of the company's COVID-19 vaccine and attempting to censor public discussion on the product. Pfizer engaged in false, deceptive, and misleading acts and practices by making unsupported claims regarding the company's COVID-19 vaccine in violation of the Texas Deceptive Trade Practices Act. I wonder what our Deceptive Trade Practices Act is here in Canada. Do, do we have one of those, JT? Do you know? Can you look that up? The pharmaceutical company's widespread representation that its vaccine possessed 95% efficacy against infection was highly misleading. Not only that, people have died from the vaccine and it's harmed many, many people whose lives will never, ever be the same. That metric represented a calculation of the so-called relative risk reduction for vaccinated individuals in Pfizer's initial two-month clinical trial results. FDA publications indicate relative risk reduction is a misleading statistic that unduly influences consumer choice. Pfizer was also put on notice at the time that vaccine protection could not accurately be predicted beyond two months. Nevertheless, Pfizer fostered a misleading impression that vaccine protection was durable and withheld from the public information that undermined its claims about the duration of protection. Let's move down. In fact, Pfizer's product failed to live up to the company's representations. COVID-19 cases increased after... <laughs> it increased. COVID-19 cases increased after widespread vaccination, vaccine administration, and some areas saw a greater percentage of deaths from COVID-19 among the vaccinated population than the unvaccinated. That's right. If you want to get this document, go to my Twitter page at Laura Lynn uh, TT. I have reposted. You can also go to at Maxime Bernier's page. So what does Maxime Bernier say? Well, that we need to do this in Canada. Yes, we do. He's also uh, been uh, first in line to talk about mass immigration, first in line to talk about the horrible shutdowns and, and the killing of business in Canada, first in line to talk about the vaccines. In fact, probably the only politician that admits out loud says it. He did not take the vaccine. Why are we so reticent? Tell me, answer me this. Why are we so reticent to actually make a strong, powerful group move to someone who's hit it every single time correctly. Why are we not doing what Denmark is doing? Why are we not doing what some of these other countries in the world that are literally at this time voting in these incredible populist leaders? Populists, why? Because they're popular, because they represent the people, because they are speaking the language of those who are, are afraid, uh, of those who see the truth, the millions in the countries across the world who go, yeah, we know this is wrong. And yet, like deer in a headlight, we wide-eyed just go, well, we, ha we have to vote so-and-so in, right? Well, is, is Pierre Polyev daring enough to speak on these issues? Is Pierre, Pierre Polyev daring enough to bring in the kind of controls on immigration that we clearly need after what we're seeing? Are any of you kind of changing your mind or getting more vocal 
or standing stronger after some of these marches that we've seen in the streets. I'm, I'm alarmed. We've seen people openly supporting Hamas, openly calling for the decimation and destruction of all Jews. That's in our streets. But God forbid that you're a few truckers and don't want to get vaccinated and a whole movement and that movement of the truckers convoy 2022, that was an act of God. Guess who never supported us? Not one member of parliament. They never supported. They were embarrassed. They, you know, they, they were just cowards later on. Now I've heard speeches by Pierre Polyev supporting the truckers. Listen, we got pelted with rubber bullets because you didn't stand with us. You, the Conservative Party, failed to attend a meeting that was held late in an evening. Y'all just went home, and the next day, people were hurt. Unarmed citizens of Canada standing up for all of us against a vaccine that now it appears has harmed people. It's lowered their immune system, and now they can't fight off COVID-19 as well as those who are unvaccinated. And I know many people, many of my friends, people in my community that got vaccinated. Why? Because misinformation and disinformation was allowed to be spread by our leaders. And now Attorney General Ken Paxton is taking them to task. And Maxime Bernier, just show that one more time there, JT. He says, we need this. We need to do this in Canada as well. Who else is calling for this? Do you know people who died? People in your family that have died from the vaccine? Let's remember uh, Sean Hartman, who died. Uh, just a young teenager got the shot. All right, Dan Hartman, the sadness of his life. We've had him on the show. Let's remember that this government is not supporting uh, people getting medical treatments that are life-saving if they haven't had the vaccine. And we highlighted that precious, incredible woman. She's dead now because she needed a lung transplant. She was next in line. And because she would not bow to the COVID-19 dangerous shot that probably would have killed her, because she would not bow to that, they would not give her the lung transplant, forced tyranny. What's next? Made? Is this all good? Mentally handicapped people can now just, you know, receive assisted suicide on any given day. They're just going to widen this gap because we're becoming a culture of death. If you don't fight it now, myself like you, we're one day going to be 86 in an old folks home. We're one day going to be having nurses, doctors, and indoctrinated left-wing psychopaths running those facilities. <coughs> Is that going to mean that we miss out on treatment? Don't worry. I have a little bit of asthma too. So when I, I get a cold, I sound worse than I am and I feel great. So... Don't worry, I know you're all saying, oh my goodness, that cough sounds terrible. <coughs> I'm fine. Also, 
loaded up on my vitamin D today, uh, took vitamin C, took hydroxychloroquine, and ivermectin, just to cover all the bases. Okay, so I'm good. <laughs> all right. Um, Ann Vandersteel talked about gold and silver, and I think this is very important. <coughs> so silver's gone up 200 uh uh, silver's gone up $200, so, but we do have one more clip. Let's do it. You have no idea. You know you hard drives can be manipulated. Are you suggesting the New York Post participating in a conspiracy to construct the contents of the Hunter Biden laptop? <laughs> no, sir. The problem is that hard drives can be manipulated by Rudy Giuliani or Russia. Well, what's the evidence that that, that happened? What's well, the there is actual evidence of it, but the point is it's There's not no the evidence for it, so you're engaging in a conspiracy. I'm glad theory. you Well, <clears throat> so Michael Schellenberger goes head-to-head -head with Representative Dan Gordon on all of this. And I, uh, I'm pretty happy that we're getting to the place where we're calling out misinformation and disinformation. And now these liars, I mean, these blatant liars can say things like he just said, like, you know, about Hunter Biden's laptop. <clears throat> it's, it's interesting that psychopaths sometimes, what they do is they attribute to you the very character qualities that they don't have. So they say that you're that person when in actual fact, that's who they are. They have no character. They're liars. And that's what we're facing. That's exactly what's happening in our world. And all of the people at the top, they love power. Conservative governments and people with you know, that tend to fight for freedom. They're not looking for more and more and more power. Although we're tending to see that the left and the right are looking more and more like each other in our established political systems. I mean, it's just liberal light. It's hard to find true people standing. Yes, we hope. And, and I know many of you are excited because of course it does absolutely look like Pierre Polyev is going to be getting in. So do not, don't be upset. It'll all be fine. But let me tell you something else that might be super cool. If you got three PPC people in, any somewhere in Canada, where, where one of the, three of the ridings uh, choose to collaborate and you get enough people with strong candidates and you get enough people to put into power three candidates that can hold the government accountable that are not in the system. Wouldn't that be cool? I will say that, um, uh, you know, one of the posts that Maxime Bernier had up was all of the, you know, just the regular looking people that are here. Let's share this JT. If you can see that there, it's an army of normal folks. Okay. An army of normal folks. These are the people that will be running, not, not some sort of, you know, fancy highfalutin uh, people who are looking for a paycheck and are that they're pansies. You know, we're, we're just surrounded by cowards these days. And so I really like this, that that's what they're doing. <clears throat> the final thing I want to uh, share with you is Dr. William Mackis is reporting on another pilot incapacitation air transit flight and I'll put it up for sharing there JT so please do follow William Mackis MD it's at Mackis MD <clears throat> so another pilot incapacitation um, 
I guess you're kind of taking your life in your hands when you get on a plane these days after what they've done. They forced, you heard the Texas Attorney General saying that, that these, these shots are not safe. People have died from these shots. So pilots becoming incapacitated mid-air, not a cool thing. Pilot collapsed in flight, but there are no further details at this time. <clears throat> Real, recent pilot incapacitations or deaths. Let's look at them. So that was November 16th, 2023. Air India pilot death. 37-year-old Air India pilot Captain Himanil Kumar had cardiac arrest at Delhi's Indira Gandhi International Airport during training. October 30th, Jet 2 flight LS-1711, Manchester to Dalaman, Turkey. First officer became incapacitated. Pilot diverted aircraft to Budapest, landed safely. Thank God. October 18th, 2023, Austrian Airlines pilot death, 43-year-old Christian Zimmerbner, uh, Australian Airlines pilot and member of um, the Dorfkasten Mountain Rescue, died suddenly on, on October 18th, 2023, due to serious illness. Australian Airlines flight OS-188 on September 24th, 2023, uh, Stuttgart to Vienna. The captain became incapacitated. First officer took control of aircraft. September 23rd, 2023, Alaska Airlines pilot death. 37-year-old Captain Eric McRae died suddenly in his, in his hotel room during a layover, was to fly out that morning. September 22nd, 2023, Delta Flight DL-291, Paris to Los Angeles, pilot became incapacitated, was taken to cabin for care, plane diverted to Minneapolis, pilot taken to hospital. Um, so Dr. Macca says he's tracked every incapacitated pilot situation and pilot death in 2023 in his articles. And uh, I do highly recommend that you follow him for the latest uh, in what's going on. He's also highlighted the dead doctors in Canada that are suddenly, suddenly dead, young, healthy doctors, and they are incapacitated. So thank you very much for joining us today. And again, uh, if you want to um, watch what Gold and Silver is doing, we've had some advice on that today. Uh, make sure you go to Sun City, Silver and Gold and talk to Steve Merrill at Sovereignize at ProtonMail.com. My website is laurelin.tv. Thank you very much for your support. <clears throat> Thank you for your kindness. Uh, those of you worried about my cough in the comments, that's very sweet. And I will be better. No worries. Try to be better by tomorrow. Um, thank you very much uh, for understanding the plight, the destiny, the, the journey, and the mission of Laura Lynn Live. What we need to do is tell the truth. And what we need to be is courageous. So we've decided we're going to do that. And it comes at a very great price. Sometimes what happens is that people attack you for no good reason. Sometimes what happens is people stop supporting you, you know, based on, uh, you know, what your, your opinion is on certain things. And we're just seeing division after division after division in our nation. And we stand um, firmly by telling you and letting you know that we are going to speak the truth and we're going to search for the truth. If we don't have the truth, we won't pretend we do. Um, I do have strong opinions on things, but if I don't feel that I've actually, you know, navigated well the topic, then I kind of wait and I hold off and I have people on to help me to get through it. But I believe that if we are together, 
we're going to make headway and we're going to know how to respond to the world and we have to be courageous in being able to speak. If you hear something on this show, you might be able to repeat some of the facts at your workplace, in the lunchroom, with your friends, with your family, and that helps to educate the masses because we're not going to get educated through mainstream media. That is what we're up against. Tomorrow we have an incredible interview. My good friend uh, George Antonios is going to be joining us and we will be talking about Israel. And he grew up actually as a Palestinian. Um, his, I believe it was his mother that was Palestinian. And he grew up in Lebanon. And he's going to be on the show to share uh, what he has come to know through lived experience and through what he knows uh, through the facts. And it's going to be epic. So please join us for that tomorrow. I want to, um, <clears throat> I want to leave you today with... You know what I absolutely love is uh, I was kind of invested in watching what John the Baptist uh, went through this morning, but then I got a little bit um, sidetracked because I love the parables of the, the the parables that Jesus told. And when I was reading about John the Baptist being beheaded in in Matthew 14 this morning, because I wanted to see, um, I'm actually looking for this part. If you, if any of you saw the Chosen. There was this point where Jesus said to John the Baptist, it was the last time that he saw him, at least in the in the movie, in the in the series. And Jesus says to John the Baptist, Do you have to go after Herod? Like, do you have to? Um, Jesus had a look in his eye like, maybe you don't need to go there because of course Jesus knew John the Baptist was gonna be imprisoned and later beheaded. And I saw that part of it in The Chosen. And I was looking for the biblical verses that that was, um, you know, sort of taken from. And I couldn't find it and ChatGPT couldn't help me at all. <laughs> I asked ChatGPT, like, where's the part where Jesus says, do you really have to go and bug Herod and lose your life? Um, and so the ChatGPT informed me with all, all living knowledge that it's not really in there. So then I went over to the parables and in Matthew 13, the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he has found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. My understanding of what this is saying is that when we truly grasp the power, the might, the strength of who God is, who he is in our life, when we find the pearl of great price, we search all through life, don't we? Wondering what's true, what's not. Now we don't know who to believe. Hey, I might be doing shows in, in French soon with my voice and my face and I'm going to be speaking French and Spanish maybe. I don't know. If, if we get to that place, everyone's going to be doing this. Our whole world is changing. Um, I was saying to JT, is it like the Tower of Babel again? You know where we're unstoppable, we all speak the languages. Are we kind of back to that? And, you know, how do we move forward? 
But when you find the pearl of great price, you know that you will sell all you have for that pearl. What does it mean? Does it mean you literally sell everything you have to, to follow God? Because remember when Jesus said to the rich young ruler, he said, well, follow all my commands. And the rich young ruler kind of proudly said, I have done that. I have followed the Ten Commandments, you know, stringently since I was born. Then Jesus said, well, then sell everything you have and follow me. And he couldn't do it. Do you think he really meant <clears throat> that he needed to sell everything? Or was Jesus challenging his heart? Jesus always challenges our heart about what's important to us. What is the pearl of great price in your life? Do you bow to, to you know, the addiction of the internet, to the addiction of you know, self-serving your life, to all the things that can fill your life? Or is the pearl of great price something that you will give up everything to pursue? Let's find that place. God bless. See you tomorrow. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing but for some of us, we feel that we have no choice. Because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked, and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.